Turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. We're going to be, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. And last week, how many of you have been enjoying the series that Pastor has been in? And last week he talked to us about seeding the clouds of our devotional lives, right? And I want to stay on that theme this morning. I want to talk to you about knowing God this morning. And I want to speak from the subject, created to know him. Come on, say that with me. I'm created to know him. And we're going to look in the Genesis story and we're going to see some things that maybe we've seen before. And I want to, I want to actually draw out of this, maybe some things that you haven't seen before. So, uh, let's go. Genesis chapter one, verse 26, very familiar passage of scripture. It says this, then God said, let us, someone say us, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and everything that creeps upon it. Let him have dominion. It's interesting. How many of you have ever read the the creation narratives before? You're familiar. That when God is creating, how many know that God creates by speaking, right? So when God is creating... For example, and I, just for the sake of time, I don't want to go through the whole chapter, but God says, you know, he, he speaks and he separates the land from the water, right? And, and then he speaks and he, he causes the, the trees and, the, and, and all the species of plants to come forth. And, and then when it's time to create animals, you notice he speaks to the environment in the right ecosystem. Is that right? So for instance, when, it, when it's time to create fish, what does he do? He speaks to the sea. Right? That's, that's where fish live, right? When he, when, he, when he speaks to the plants and the vegetation and all that, he speaks to the dry land. And then, of course, he speaks and he calls forth the animals and the beasts and different things like that. So whenever God is creating, he's speaking outward. Someone say outward. But there's a shift when he gets to the sixth day because he says, now let's make man in our own image And our likeness. In other words, when God gets to us, he speaks to himself. He's no longer speaking outward. He says, when it it comes time to create us, he has a conversation and speaks to his being. Isn't that powerful? Right away, that should already begin to set the tone to tell you, set the tone for how God designed us. It says, let us make man. And of course, for, for, so, for so long, people have speculated about what does us mean. But to me, it's very clear. John chapter 1. And you notice that John opens his gospel just like Genesis, don't you, right? Well, what are the first three words of Genesis? In the... B- what are the first three words of John? In the... And John does that on purpose. John's wanting us to make the connection immediately. When we're reading John 1, John wants us to think about Genesis. That's why John, he opens his gospel like this. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. John 
John, John doesn't leave us to guess who is us. The us in Genesis 1 is the Godhead. It's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are one. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit at the beginning of time, after creating. And the Bible lets us know that not only was Jesus present at creation. He says all things were made through him. That's why, okay, I feel my preaching coming in right now. That's why he stands up and says, before Abraham was. How many know that that when he was born, that was not his first time existing? (laughs) God is so good. And so he, so in the beginning in the Genesis narrative, we see that God has a conversation with his being and they, in the father, the son, and the Holy spirit, they say, let us make man in our image in our likeness. Okay. This is why in Psalm 139, I'm just kind of building my foundation here. Psalm 139 verse 14, David writes this. He says, I will praise you for I am fearfully. Someone say, I am fearfully. Come on. Say it like you had some breakfast. Say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul and that my soul knows very well. And David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, I don't know about you. I was never good at science, but I knew enough about the human anatomy to know that our bodies are very sophisticated. Am I right? I mean, when you just look at how we're put together, I mean, our nervous system, the, our, our neurological systems, the, the cells, how many, how many know they're still making discoveries about our cells each, it seems like each and every week, the complexity of our being astounds me. And I don't even know enough about that to go into detail because I, science was not my thing, but I, I love it. I love, I love learning about anatomy because when I look at how our bodies are designed, it's so clear that everything functions according to God created us meticulously. God created us fearfully and wonderfully. But do you know what I believe is complicated as complex and as amazing as our anatomy is? I believe when David says, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, he's not talking about our anatomy. He's talking about what we call the imago day. It means this, that we are actually made in the image and likeness of God. That means when you see, look at yourself in the morning, you ought to say to yourself each and every day, you are made in the image and likeness of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made made do you understand that uh, amongst all of creation you are the only one that can make that statement i know that we know this but sometimes we need to know things right we we know it but do we know it because the image of god on our lives is irreversible you see that's one of the i believe that's one of the main reasons the enemy hates us he can't, t- he can't touch God. Right? Am I right? But he tries to mess with his kids, right? He, he can't touch God, but we, we, we frustrate the fire out of him. No pun intended. We frustrate him because when he sees us, he sees an image. And you know what? 
sin has taken a toll on humanity. How many of you would agree? Ever, ever since the fall of man, sin has taken a toll on us. There's no doubt about it. But let me tell you something. Sin has taken a toll on us. Sin has tried to, sin has tried to diminish that image. It has sometimes tarnished that image. It is, it is, it has thrown dirt on that image. But no matter, even no matter how reckless and how destructive sin was, it, it could not remove the image and likeness of God on your life. And one of the greatest lies is this. The enemy wants to convince you that you look like him and not like God. But it's like this. It's like, I don't know about you. How many of you like money? Like, this is a $20 bill. And Jackson, I know we like Benjamin more. We like Franklin, Benjamin Franklin more. But it's like this $20 bill. I mean, I could crumble this up. Still $20. I could throw it on the ground, stomp on it, rub some stage, whatever's on this stage. I'm not going to spit on it, but I could spit on it. Would you still take this? Would you still take this? Come take it. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how tarnished this is. This is valuable because there's an image that's been placed on it by the United States Treasury. And as long as this image is on the bill, it don't matter how crumpled up it is, you can leave from this place and spend it and they're gonna take it because there's an image on it that makes it valuable. And I'm here to tell you today that it doesn't matter what you've been through, what hell's thrown at you, the enemy can't stand the image of God on your life, but he also can't take that from you. And God, when we were created, we were created in the image and likeness of God. That means a hundred percent of the people you will meet are made in the image and likeness of God. That means the people you don't like are made. That means those people at work that you don't like and the people in traffic that are honking at you, a hundred percent are made in the image and likeness of God. He created us to be image bearers, image bearers. Now turn with me, go down, stay in verse one. We're just getting started. Verse Genesis one, verse 31. Also notice this. So God is creating the world. And how many know at each, at the end of each and every day, after he's done creating that day, God said something every single day. What did he say? He says, and he saw that it was good. Then on the sixth day, Listen to what the Lord says after. So every, every other day, it's good. It's good. Then he creates man and he says, and then he saw everything that he had made. And indeed it was very good. I'm telling you, we are special to God. He looked around creation. And he goes, man, this is good. But he, when he came time to create us, he spoke to himself and he goes, now let's put our image and our likeness on man. And after he created man, he said, he looked around creation. And he says, now it's not just good. It's very good. Tell me you don't have a purpose. Genesis. Now turn with me to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. Is this okay? You love the word this morning. 
Notice that in Genesis, there's two creation accounts. One, kind of like a quick overview. The second goes into more detail about the creation of Adam. Listen to what it says in verse 7. And it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The literal translation says this, And man became a living soul. But notice this, then it says this, this, this is not part of the message today. This is just a little nugget. It says, then the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden and there he put the man whom he had formed. Adam actually wasn't created in Eden. He, God created Adam. He then planted Eden and then put Adam inside of Eden. But that's not the... We don't want to get caught there. Verse, now go with me to stay in Genesis 2. Now go to verse 15. If you're there, stay there. Well, we're all there because they're going to put it on the screen, right? For those of you who still like to keep up with your own Bible on the tablet, verse, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Now we're going to dive into kind of the foundation of what I want to say this morning. This is the story after Adam, God has created Adam. This is what he's, and God tells him basically, hey, listen, have dominion, Right? And this kind of goes into more detail. It says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. Did you notice that? He put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat it, you shall die. And I want you to focus in on verse 18. And the Lord God said... It is not good that man should be alone. Say that with me. It is not good that man should be alone. Now talk about yourself. It is not good that I should be alone. Listen to what God says. And I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air. And brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And what Adam, whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds, to the beasts of the field. But for, listen to this, but for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. Stick with me. Then, and the Lord God calls the deep sleep. Someone say a deep sleep. To fall on Adam and he slept and he took one of his ribs. How many know that God was the original surgeon? He just tapped Adam, gave him a little anesthesia, go to sleep. Adam's laying there. He opens up his side, takes a rib, fastens it back up. It says that he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God took had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become, someone say with me, one flesh. Say it like you had some breakfast, say one flesh. As I was reading this one day, it just occurred to me, I, and I know you've probably experienced this in the scriptures. How many know that there's nothing that's put there on accident? 
I love what there's a rabbi that said one time, everywhere you look, there's something to see. Even when you don't think there is. And one day I'm reading this and I've just kind of taken it for granted that, yeah, I know. And I'm just kind of reading through it. And I realized something's not making sense. God saw that Adam was lonely and he said, I'm going to make him a helper comparable to him. A helpmate. But he, he, he didn't bring Eve to Adam right away. Does anyone else not find that a little odd? Okay. Just me? Okay. It is, it, you know it is okay to read the Bible and say, God, this don't make sense. Explain it. It seems like to me he would bring, he, he knows ultimately what he needs is Eve. God, God, God knows, right? He knows the end from the beginning. He knows that ultimately he already knows what he's going to do. He already knows he's going to end up putting them to sleep. He already knows he's going to take a rib. I'm trying not to crack rib jokes. I am trying not to see. All I can think, every time I say it, I'm thinking that's why we love ribs. Okay. But like, it's like, it's like, I remember when I was single before I met my wife, my, me and my friends used to text each other. Stay away from them ribs. Stay away from that rib buffet. You know what I'm saying? God's going to bring you your rib, right? Listen, and, and he did. Thank you, Jesus. He'll bring you the rib that you need. But listen, God knew God knew that ultimately what he needed was Eve. And I've, I, 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 I stared at it and I said, why did he reverse that order? Because you see, he brings the animals to Adam. And, and I'm sure there's some connection. We all have pets, right? How many of you are real close to your dog? You got a dog? If you're a cat person, bless you. I'm going to pray for you. Just kidding. Not a cat person, but if you are, God bless you. We have bonds with our pets. There's no doubt about it. We have bonds with our pets. But you know what? There's only so much connection you can have. There is an emotional connection, no doubt. But it can only go so far. Communication can only go so far. Intimacy can only go so far. Relationship can only go so far. So God brings Adam the animals and Adam's naming all these animals, all these species. He's just like, boom, boom, boom. And God says, he's still lonely. Then he says, he puts him to sleep, takes his rib. And make, informs Eve. And, and, and just, just for a second, just kind of try to picture your Adam, right? You wake up from your sleep. And... Listen, we don't know how long he's been in Eden. It doesn't tell us. No need to speculate. Let's just say he's been there a while. He wakes up and he sees Eve for the first time. How many know he was thanking the Lord? All this dude has been seeing is some animals, y'all. All he's been seeing, he's been having to deal with all. And, and they're cool, but he's like, man, like. None of, Adam said, these are all majestic and beautiful, but he said, none of them are like me. There's no image or likeness among the animals. For there to be intimacy, there has to be shared image and shared likeness. I'm going somewhere. And imagine being Adam when he woke up, he was like, oh, thank you, Jesus. 
He looked at that woman and he was like, that you was just what I've been looking for. You so fine. How many know right there? He said, thank you, Lord. He that findeth the wife findeth the good thing. But you, you notice, you notice Adam almost doesn't know what to say. You have to understand before this point, everything that's brought to him, he has to name it. And when he sees Eve, he doesn't name her at first. He doesn't actually know what really what to call. He says, for the first time, he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For the first time, he sees another image bearer and their shared image and their shared likeness. Are you with me this morning? And for the first time, he's actually able to build relationship and have intimacy. And I've, had, I've, I've often wondered, God, why, why did you reverse this order you knew he... It's because, honestly, and I don't want to be dogmatic about this. I can't prove it. But this is just what I think. I think that this desire in Adam for intimacy was there. How many would agree? That longing in his heart. He couldn't, he, he, you know what? You know what's so crazy? He had never seen anybody else that looked like him. He couldn't put his finger on it. He just, he was interacting with God's good creation and it was good, amen? It, I mean, all of this was amazing, but there was something unfulfilled in Adam because he said, I'm looking for something and I can't even name it because I haven't seen it, but the desire was there. And you know what? That's the thing about when God puts godly desires. If you have a godly desire, the desire is proof that it exists. Even if you can't put your your name on it, even if you can't picture it, God will put desires inside of you that are from him. They're actually from him. And you can't even describe it because you haven't seen it before. You can't even, you've never even seen what it looks like, but it's a desire and it's there. And God does that sometimes. And what I believe God was doing with Adam was this. He was causing that desire to come to the surface because if, if, if God put it there that means it came from God why would God put that desire in Adam let me tell you what I believe this morning it's because not because God put that desire in Adam because that desire is in God you see when Adam was in the garden he had everything that he could ever want or need he had a really nice plot of land. God said, you got this garden, you got these rivers that are feeding it. Like, you know what I mean? You, you can eat of all of this. Just stay away from that tree. Adam had authority, dominion, prosperity. He had whatever he wanted at his fingertips. How many would agree with that? Actually, he has a lot of the things that we desire, right? He has a lot of the things that we want in life. Security, authority, purpose. But there's a longing in his heart. And he's doing all this and he doesn't know why, but he feels incomplete. By the way, this is not my message today, but can I just go somewhere? When God, <laughs> the desire, see, he took Eve out of him. The desire was in him. He took Eve out of him and he didn't feel complete until they were one. See, science or people will tell you that our, our greatest attraction to the opposite sex is physical. Obviously, God created us to be physically attracted to the opposite sex, right? But let me tell you something. Your greatest attraction to the opposite sex is not just physical, it's spiritual. 
Because what we actually want the most is we crave wholeness. I want my baby back, baby back. Listen, what we actually crave is wholeness. You need to understand that Adam had a desire. God took it out of him and put it in front of him. He says, when you become, when the two come together, then they will be one. Adam's desire was not just for relationship, but was for union. It was for wholeness. And God in his wisdom said, the two shall become one. And so I believe not only obviously are we attracted to the opposite sex, God created us that way, but even our longing for companionship is just as much spiritual as it is physical because what we're really craving is union. What we're really craving is wholeness, togetherness, intimacy. Are you with me this morning? And so what God does is, I believe God allowed Adam to experience all of his creation alone so that he could see that that was not where it was at. You want me to tell you what I think? I can't prove this theologically. I think that that's why God started all this. In the beginning, God created. Why? The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, they don't need anything. Am I right? By God's own definition, he doesn't need anything. Could it be that God didn't create, start all this and create us because he needed anything? Could it be that he just, out of the desire of the Godhead, they said, we want image bearers. We want, we want to share what we have. We want this love, this fellowship, this, this being that we have. We want to share. There was, I believe there was a desire in God's heart. And actually that, see, as it goes in a natural, spiritual and vice versa, the desire in Adam for a companion was representing a, another spiritual element, which is that God desires a relationship with man. And he put that desire in man to have a relationship with him and the physical representation of it is marriage. But even he says all throughout the scriptures, that is a, that is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. God didn't put us here because he needed us. He put us here because there was a desire. I believe there was a desire in his heart. He, he didn't need us. He wanted us. Come on, somebody. Are you guys tracking with me this morning? And so I believe that God gave Adam all this other stuff first to draw that desire to the surface. How many of you have ever been there? Where you knew in your life, you know, you knew theoretically nothing can fill this void. Uh, Nothing can fill that void that God put in your heart, but God. You had, how many of you have been there where you've had everything you've wanted? Or maybe, here's the, have you ever had a goal? It, It was like amazing and you achieved the goal and you felt good for about 10 seconds. But suddenly there was, there was something else. You, you thought that if you reached this or you did this or you achieved this, that, that it would fulfill everything. But you did it and it felt good for a moment. But there was still like a hole inside of you. It's because, and all of those things are good and we're created for that. But, but time and time again, we've seen that we can try to fill that, whatever you want to call it, that God-sized hole in our lives. It don't matter how much money you throw at it, how much success you throw at it, how much 
purpose you throw at it, nothing is going to fill that void. Because when God created you, in your very being, he created you to be an image bearer that would actually bear his image through relationship. And there's not one thing on this earth that can fill that but God. So check with me. I just, I gotta, I gotta follow that rabbit trail for a second. That happened to me one time. I remember one time I was doing something so cool in ministry. Some, I'd, I'd, I'd gone somewhere and spoken somewhere that I'd, I'd, it, was, it was just like a huge dream. I, I remember it was just like, wow, this is incredible that God opened this door. And I remember walking through that door and I got to minister and all this stuff. And I remember that night going back and, and, and I remember being totally lonely. And I said, God, this is so strange. Why do I feel this way? Because God had to remind me, Andrew, those are good things. But that's not where your satisfaction comes from. It's in knowing me. It's in knowing me. We can get so busy doing good, hey, doing good things, doing God things, doing, doing life, get the busyness of life, feeling important, feeling, the, feeling our scale. And, and, and meanwhile, on, on the inside, it's like, uh, why am I not satisfied? Why do I feel this way? Why do I feel like? It's because God created you in such a way that you need him. And as St. Augustine said, our souls are restless and they don't find rest until they find rest in God. But turn with me, I got to hurry. Is this, is this helping anyone this morning? Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 30. I want you to turn with me. Here's what's so incredible. In Ephesians 5, this is that famous passage where, where um, Paul is writing about marriage, right? And this is what he says in verse 30. For we are members of his body. Whose body? Christ, right? Listen to the terminology. Of his flesh and of his bones. Wow, that sounds, that sounds real familiar. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become what? This is a direct quote from Genesis 1. But listen to what he says. This is so like Paul, by the way, to take a little detour, like drop a little bomb and then come back, right? He says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And I love how he does this. Nevertheless, and he gets back to the subject. So he's talking about husband and wife. He said the two will become one flesh, right? Then he goes, oh, by the way, this is a mystery. This is actually ultimately speaking about Christ and the church. That means in Genesis 1, the gospel, oh my God, the gospel is already being preached in Genesis 1. I'm going to prove it to you. He says, this is a great mystery. He said, I'm speaking of Christ and the church. Because whenever Christ and the church is talked about, how is it always described? It's always described as a what? A marriage. Right? He calls us the, the bride and he's the bridegroom. And I, fellas, I know sometimes that can feel awkward. But listen, if I can be a bride, you can be a bride, okay? We are literally the bride of Christ. Because Paul says, listen, he says, listen, what's happening in the natural. Yes, this is very real. God set this up. But he says, 
He says, understand the full mystery. We're speaking at a, at a higher level. We're speaking of Christ and the church. Because even on the cross in John chapter 19, I don't know if you've ever seen this. Would you put that up? How many of you, first of all, how many of you know that in, in, in the scriptures, that anytime death is spoken of, it's often interchangeable with the word sleep? Right? Like Paul talks about those who are asleep in Christ will awake. In other words, death and sleep are often intertwined. So remember, while Adam is sleeping, God opens his rib and brings out a bride. Before I read this, I just got to set it. I'm almost done. You with me? Brings a bride. And Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Jesus came to bring redemption. Once sin entered the world, notice, notice immediately what happened. As soon as Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? They went and hid. Hid from God. I mean, it's like trying to hide behind this pole. You can't hide from God. So, so after Adam and Eve sinned, they're hiding. And God's like, Adam, where are you? Obviously, God's not asking because he doesn't know. He's saying, Adam... Where are you in terms of where's the Adam I created? Why are you hiding? Who told you you were naked? All this stuff. Because sin is devastating to our... We, you know that we were not created for sin. We were created for him. Sin is a violation of our design. That's why it's so destructive. And so ever since the fall of man, man has been trying to hide from God. But God's been walking. Thankfully, God never gave up. He's just been pursuing. And it reached its climax when it says that day in the city of David, born to us this day in the city of David, a savior has been born in Bethlehem, right? What happened was God literally stepped off his throne in glory and he began to walk the earth saying, Adam, where are you? I'm coming. I'm looking. I'm trying to restore what we lost in the garden. I'm trying to restore us back to relationship. Hello. That's why Paul, when Paul writes about Jesus, he calls him the second Adam. Did you know that? And here's what's amazing. Jesus is put to death on a tree. And guess where the last place he was bruised was? A soldier takes a spear and sticks it into his ribcage. And out of his side begins to flow blood and water. Because... Jesus, what God is ultimately after, he's after his bride. And through the, through the work of the cross, through, the blood of, through, the, through his blood, he's going to redeem us. And through the Holy Spirit, he's going to restore us back to relationship and back to intimacy with him. Because, because the desire that he put in Adam was actually the desire that originated in him. He, had, he, he wants his bride. See, I, I, I got to I, I, I stop there. I got to stop there and preach for one second. I, I don't think that we understand what I, this is the greatest love story that has ever been written. I, Hollywood's made a lot of great love stories, but the greatest one they ever made was called the passion of the Christ. Because what happened was 
the bride, those of us who were called to be his bride, those of us who were lost in sin, lost in darkness, just made in the image of God, but lost our way, just out here, just doing whatever, living for whatever, just lost. Thank, Thank God that the bridegroom didn't wait for us to come to him. He came into the earth and he began to walk the earth and he began to seek us out. And that's what separates us from every other religion on this planet. I know we like to say Christianity is not a religion. You know what I mean? Is that every other religion, they're trying to do everything they can to find God and to please God. The gospel is an announcement that he bridged the chasm that you couldn't bridge. You've been, we've been running and hiding ever since Genesis 2 and ever since Genesis 3. But he says, you know what? You may be living in the aftermath of Genesis 2 and Genesis 3, but God still remembers Genesis 1, 26. He said, let us make man in our image and our likeness. And God didn't wait. He said, I'm coming for you. And you know why? You know what's so amazing in Ephesians 5 when he tells the husbands, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved his church. Do you know why he said that? He said, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave his own life. In other words, he's telling husbands, give your life for your bride. God will never ask you to do anything that he hasn't done. He said, give your life for the bride because that's what I did for you. You were lost. He goes, I hung up on that tree and it was the greatest love story because when you weren't looking for me, when you weren't even interested in me, I died for you. So that why? You could be, so that you could return to me. And the last place he's pierced, I believe prophetically is in his rib because out, notice he's put to sleep and then his rib is opened. And out of it flows blood and water that represents the blood of the new covenant. And the water represents the Holy Spirit. Christ, on the other side of Calvary, Christ is putting and forming his bride. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's you and that's me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Genesis chapter one begins, begins with a marriage. The book of Revelation ends with a marriage. One day we're going to be presented to Christ as a spotless bride without spot or blemish because that is our highest calling. And why do I say all that today? Because when it, when it, when it comes to intimacy, you don't get any higher than bride. And that's where God has called us to. He's called us to know and to love him so much so that the terminology he he uses throughout scripture is that of a marriage. And he says, our relationship, what you have in the physical, that's what our relationship is like in the spiritual. That's why he told Hosea, oh my God, pastor touched on it a few weeks ago. Imagine being Hosea and I got to close. Imagine being Hosea in in the Old Testament. And God says, Hosea, go marry the prostitute. And he's like... Shoot. You talking to him? And you know, he, and guess what? She leaves him and goes back into prostitution. What do you, he has to go buy her out of prostitution again. And he says, yeah. And he says, God, what are you trying to say? And God says, that's what Israel's done to me because I'm, the, I'm their bridegroom and they're my bride. And that's what happens. He goes, every time you leave me and go off to false idols, that's what it feels like. Every time you... You forsake that place of intimacy. That's what I feel. Every time we we neglect that time with him, you understand that he is vulnerable. He is all powerful. He's the God almighty, but he's vulnerable enough to say, I'm a jealous God. I'm jealous for your affections. I'm jealous for relationship with you. I'm jealous for intimacy with you because when I created you, ultimately, I created you to do a lot of good things. I created you to have dominion, to have purpose, but ultimately I created you to know me. 
And you can have everything in the world, but if you don't know me, you don't really have anything. And that's why I think he waited to bring Eve to Adam because after he had everything, he brought, he brought to Adam what he needed most. Come on, I got to close. Would you stand with me? Last scripture, John chapter 17, verse 3. My, one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. Listen to what John chapter 17, 3 says. It's coming. There it is. This is Jesus speaking. Come on, repeat this after me. And this is eternal life. That they may what? Know you. We're going to say it until it hits. And this is eternal. That they what? Have you ever thought about this? The goal, the ultimate goal is not just to get to heaven. How many are you thankful we're going to heaven? But listen, listen, it's only heaven because he's there. You know what the best news of the gospel is? Is that our sins are forgiven, we're redeemed, but it keeps going. You know, you know, really, I think at the crux of it, the best news of the gospel is we get him. He says this, this is eternal life that you what? Know me. That you what? Know me. Because if we went to heaven and he wasn't there, would it be heaven? No. See, it's all about him. We get heaven. We get all the benefits of salvation. We get forgiven. We get healing. We get blessing. We get all of these things. But do you know what the greatest blessing is? The greatest blessing is that we get him. He is our portion. He is our inheritance. That means that for all of eternity, we will get to know him and love him. And that means that right now, someone say right now. We get to walk with him. We get to talk with him. We get to spend time with him. Well, that that means in the middle of the day when you're parenting and when you're at work and when you're in your car and when you're doing this, when you're doing that, when you're in your quiet time, it means right now in this very moment. You know what Jesus is saying? Eternal life begins right now because you begin to know him right now and it continues on into eternity. It continues on into eternity. But knowing him is eternal life. See, I, uh, when I was young, they used, my youth pastor used to tell me the gospel, it's like a now and later. You get Jesus now and you get Jesus later. But the point is this, is that you get Jesus and he calls us to know him. He calls us to know him. With every head bowed, I just want you to raise your hands with me. Because there's... I believe there's someone in this room and there's someone watching me on, through the live stream. Maybe you've heard a lot about Jesus. Maybe you know about Jesus. Maybe you come to church and that's all great. That's great things. My question today though is this, do you know him? Jesus said in Matthew 7, many will stand before me and they'll say this and that. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Salvation is not just about repeating a prayer, although that's amazing. It's about knowing a person.
It's our highest calling. With every head bowed, just want you to close your eyes with me for a second. If that, if you're in this room today and you've never began that journey, accepted Him as Savior, and began the journey of walking with Him, and you want to do that today, I want you to slip up your hands. All across this room, there's hands going up. I see you. I see you. I want to. I want to. I want us all to pray this prayer through, and then I want to pray for all of us before we're dismissed. But would you, would you just pray this with me, Inspire Search, dear Lord Jesus? I don't deserve the love and the grace that you have lavished on me, but you've done it anyway. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for sending your son to die for my sins. I receive you this day as my Savior and my Lord. I repent of my sin and I turn my life to you. Save me, Lord. Fill me with your precious Holy Spirit that I may walk with you and know you all the days of my life. Come on, Inspire Church. There's quite a few people who just prayed that prayer for the first time. Can we?